we're going to dive in. We're in the series Human Becomings. And uh, a few weeks ago, I took a trip with one of my sons, Hudson, to Los Angeles. And we, of course, went to Disneyland. And we also went to the TV taping of BattleBots. So you know those, you know, somebody asked me, like, well, what made you get tickets to that? You know those people that say, I have a friend who, well, I have a son who allows me to go watch fighting robots and say it's for him, right? Because I love the fighting robots. It was pretty cool. But, um, but in Los Angeles, there's this Amazon billboard. I don't know if it exists anywhere else. And it says this, zero to happy in one hour. Sounds pretty awesome, right? It's Amazon's new one-hour delivery uh, deal, and uh, it's pretty convenient, right? I thought the, the one day next day was pretty good, but man, one hour. And Amazon, of course, focuses on helping their customers, helping the buying process to be as easy and convenient and like hassle-free, right, painless as possible, right? They're the ones who invented the one-click ordering, right? You guys maybe use that. And most recently, they have the Amazon Dash button. Have you seen this? You order this little device of one of the products you have at home, like Tide laundry detergent or something like Gatorade, and you just press the button when you're low. And the next day, right, the product is on your doorstep. Amazing. You hear about the next one they're going to invent, right, the one thought ordering, right? You just think it. Your deodorant's row, new deodorant, speed stick, boom, drone flies in, drops it in your, you know, front porch, right? Here we are in this world. And then you have returns, right? And you go, one thought returns, okay? I just got 33 pants. I need 36 pants. I didn't realize that. Okay, send it back. Return. Done, right? That'd be pretty cool. And, and, um, and, and then uh, when, I, when I hear about all this, right, I, I, um, I think about Amazon, right? And, and I think about they want to deliver what you want, or so they claim, right, happiness, Right, to, that, to that billboard, what you want in the way you want it, as fast and as easy and as painless as possible. And of course, some of us love that. It's all good. But we also know this, that whatever Amazon delivers, or whoever for that matter, and no matter how fast they deliver, it's never ultimately going to equal happiness, right? If you thought that, <laughs> sorry. But this all makes me think of this idea of change. It intersects this series, we all tend, our human tendency is to want something easy, quick, fast, you know, pain-free, convenient, all that. And when it comes to change, I think we all want change. I mean, I've never met anybody who said, no, nah, I, I don't want to make progress. I don't want to grow. I've arrived. I am here. No, I don't meet people like that. Maybe you do. I don't. And it's natural to want it quick and easy and fast, right, especially the culture that we live. To become human... I mean, to be human, sorry, to be human means that we want to grow, we desire to change. And why wouldn't we want it fast and convenient? But of course, we all know that's not how it happens. It's not the process that God designed. And so then, what is that process? And how is it that we, as human beings, actually change? I want to look at this text this morning that I find really insightful and informative about this whole idea of of how a human being becomes different. How we, as men and women, choose to engage the change process. How we become the person God designed us to become. It's not easy. It's almost never convenient or painless even. And it certainly doesn't happen in an hour. Instead, it requires a new and ongoing way of living. 
And really, that's what this whole series is about. And last week, Ryan looked at this passage in Ephesians 4, and I want to build on that. It's a great text right in the middle of Ephesians, and this is what Paul says, starting back from where Ryan was last week. So this I say... And affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. He's painting this picture, right? Ryan talked about where it all went wrong. Then the passage turns, and this is the text for today. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, former way of life, you lay aside the old self or put off the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind or be made new, one translation says, and you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So several things are happening there. First, Paul, Paul really talks about life change, and he, and he says at the very core of this, life change is possible. Then he contrasts this putting off the old way of living and putting on the new way of living. And he goes on to describe a bit how the change process happens. Later in the text, which we'll get to more next week, he starts to talk about behavioral change. And Ryan's going to address that and dive deeper into that. And it's interesting because Christians often focus sometimes solely on external behavioral change in their life of growth and wanting to change. But Paul takes us on this different path, and the order of this text is important. He'll get to the behavioral stuff, but he takes us through the the essence stuff first. At the essence of character transformation, Paul isn't talking about putting off behaviors. Rather, he's talking about putting on a whole new self where your very essence changes. And that starts with the heart and the mind and the will. Paul is telling us this, that it's more about being something than doing something. And that's a hard one for us to grasp as human beings. It's not simply about how you live out here, although that's important in its rightful place, it's about who you are in here. Because how you live out here always emerges from who you are in here. And I want to zero in on really three things Paul says in that passage that we just read, three critical decisions that are really catalysts for life change in your life and in mine. They're decisions that we have to understand and learn to live by if we want to experience real transformation. And I think we all want that. There are three decisions that revolve, of course, around the heart, the mind, and the will. And the first critical decision is a a once and for all decision. It's something you go, this moment I make this decision, but it's also a decision that has ongoing effects and you carry it through in an ongoing way. It's a heart decision. But before I tell you what that specific decision is, I want us to look more closely at what Paul says because Paul tells this Gentile community, these fellow followers of Jesus, he says, put off the old self and put on the new self. Verse 22, verse 24. 
And he coins these words in the Greek language where the New Testament was originally written. He coins these words and he uses them quite uniquely and quite intentionally. The Greek words he uses here are usually used in that culture of someone taking off garments or putting on clothes. Something like that is typically how it's used. In ancient times, some of the writers would, would even use these terms metaphorically speaking about virtues, putting on virtues. So, so for instance, uh, putting off hate, putting on love, putting off laziness, putting on uh, yeah, diligence. But no one in antiquity would have used these terms quite like Paul does here. And to Paul's original audience, these terms were unique ways to describe the change process in a human being. The verb tense, follow this for just a second, the verb tense, put off and put on, is what in the Greek language is an aorist tense. We don't have this verb in English. It makes it sometimes hard to translate precisely. But an aorist verb entails this. It's a finished past action. A finished past action. And that means in this context that Paul is reminding the Gentiles and us that they have already put off this old way of living and they've already finished past action, put on this new self. In essence, Paul's telling us this, that real change starts with a decisive, deliberative, conscious decision to turn away from the old and turn toward the new, to take off these clothes and garments and to put on this new way of being. And so the first decision that catalyzes transformation is about this one word, repentance. Repentance. And we often connect repentance in in church circles with the idea of forgiveness, right? It goes immediately almost to that. And of course, that's part of it. But it involves more than simply asking for forgiveness. Now, we've all heard the phrase, you know, some version of it's easier to beg for forgiveness than to ask for permission. You've heard this, right? Well, well, repentance isn't simply about doing something wrong and asking for forgiveness. It's about turning our hearts toward God in every decision that we make, every aspect of our being. And it's asking him to be at the center, to be the guide, to be the leader of our lives. There was um, one way that God changed me early on in, in my new faith. I was in college, and I started following Jesus and I prayed a pretty bold prayer not long after that. My prayer was this, simply. It's like, God, the next girl I date, I want to be the girl that I married. To, to want to be the girl that I marry, right? It was a pretty bold prayer. I didn't know how it was going to play out. But, but something in me knew that if I did it my way, it might fall apart. If I did it my way and said, okay, I'm not going to ask permission. I'll ask for forgiveness later, right? Then I hit that point of it falling apart. I mean, that's, that's regressing. And I understood in that place that, no, Following Jesus is about growing, not regressing. And I wanted Jesus to be the guide in all of that. And of course, for me, at least, God answered my prayer. I met Sherry. Fast forward two years, we get married. And I've been so grateful that God answered that prayer. But, but it's revealing of where our heart goes. When we do decide to repent, to turn away from the old and turn to the new. You know, I first asked Sherry out first time. She said no. So I just told her. Uh, God told me that you're supposed to date me because then if you say yes on this first date, then here, we're all the way to marriage, right? Fast forward, right? She repented from me and turned the other way in that direction. No, actually, that didn't all happen. Um, 
but, uh, but I did marry her, you know, and, and, and dated, you know, her and then married her. She was the first one. Anyway, um, repentance, right, literally means, I digress, literally means to turn away from one thing, turn toward the other. It's the 180 degree turn, right? It's the U-turn. We've talked about that here before. It's when we say this, though, I'm turning away the entire posture of my life. And I'm turning everything about me toward God, toward this new way of living, this new way of being. It's the opposite direction so that ultimately I can become who God wants me to become. In repentance, you recognize the life you're living without God. You see clearly where that life is leading you and you decide to stop living for yourself. You say, God, your way. You acknowledge that you don't want that life anymore that you weren't created for that kind of living, and that you were created for so much more. And here's why repentance is important, because if you don't repent, you won't transform. If you don't repent, you won't transform. And some of you in the room this morning haven't repented. Well, really, you haven't transformed because you haven't repented. You want to cover up instead of expose. You want to hold tightly to your own way of living instead of embracing God's way. And ultimately, every single one of us, no matter where we are in life and in our spiritual journey, we have to respond to this question. Who am I really living for? Or in other words, who calls the shots in my life? Who's in charge of leading my life? And if it's not Jesus, the scriptures tells us, you haven't fully repented. And as a result, your path to transformation, real transformation, will be stunted. That kind of change you long for won't happen. Because repentance is what positions you for transformation. Repentance is what positions you for transformation. It's this all-in moment, this complete change of direction, this finished past action. And then, as you begin to move through life, you know what also comes about? Is there's this ongoing repentance. There's this openness and humility to God that you carry with you throughout life. Because we get off course at times. We mess up. We sin. We fall short. And God gracefully steers us back when we carry that repentant spirit of turning to him, turning to him. Saying, God, restore me. Steer me back. Bring me home. And the truth of the matter is this. Repentance can be kind of an uncomfortable word to some. But for some of us here, we have to draw the line in the sand. And say, no more on the old way. I'm headed to the new. I've never fully repented. Or or for others in the room, maybe you've repented, but you've gone back the other way. And you ebb and flow in your devotion to Christ. and, And God and the scriptures call us to turn completely from one way to the other way and sold out going that direction. That's repentance. It's a one time, all in moment, and then it's an ongoing thing that you carry with you along the way. Because remember, repentance is what positions you for transformation. And without that, you won't be transformed into the person God made you to be. Now, if we look back at the text, Paul takes this further. He takes this sort of next level. Verse 23 is key to understanding this change process. In verse 22, Paul contrasts the putting off the old, and then verse 24, he says, put on the new. Well, right there in verse 23, he uses this term, be renewed. And he talks about it in a way 
that, that it's something we need to be doing all the time. That verb is a present progressive verb. It's about the spirit of your thinking every day. So the first critical decision is about the heart, repentance. The second critical decision to catalyze transformation is about the mind, and it's that very word, renew. It's about renewing your mind. Paul is not talking here about logic, per se, or reason even. He's talking about the direction of your thinking, the heart of your thinking, the theme of your thinking. How you think Talked a little bit about this last week, but how you think and what you believe are so critical to the journey of becoming. Proverbs tells us, be careful what you think, for your life is shaped by your thoughts. So this idea of renewal is critical to the process of God producing character in you. It's through renewal that the wisdom and the truth of God become foundational to your thinking. And eventually your behavior. Because here's the thing. To become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, doesn't guarantee change. I mean, in the moment, it changes your posture and it changes your eternity. But it doesn't, it doesn't change you all the way through to being like Christ. It's a journey. It's a process. And renewal is critical in that process. So if you're serious about becoming a man or woman of character... Renewing your mind must be a daily activity. It's one of the primary ways that we cooperate with the Holy Spirit as he molds and shapes who we are becoming. And over time, a renewed mind results in a transformed life because what we believe determines how we behave. What we believe determines how we behave. That means that renewing our minds requires that we identify and face the errors in our thinking, the lies that get embedded inside of us, that we pay attention to these erroneous ways of thinking and we replace them with the truth. And that's when real growth begins to happen. In other words, renewing your mind is a two-part process. Paul talks about it. It's about taking off the old and putting on the new. Now, I don't know if you guys have heard of a mud spa. Probably the ladies have and the men haven't. I don't know. But, um, but you, you know, you usually don't hear those two words together, mud and spa. Who knows what a mud spa is? Just curious, right? Yeah, there's a few. Okay, you guys, men are really cultured here. Sorry, um, insulted you just a moment ago. But, um, but, but a few years ago, Sherry convinced me to do a mud spa. I know, only one person laughed, but it gets funnier. Um, <laughs> She used, like, trickery or something. She told me, I think, you know, something like real men exfoliate, right? And I got my man challenge on, right? And I was like, okay, I'm in, you know? I think I was more in love more than anything, but I fell for it. So we're in this mud spa, and there's these, you know, people with, you know, T-shirts and shorts on, and they're just caking mud on their legs and their arms and then their face, right? It looks so funny, right? And, um, and, and I'm, I'm there, and, and it, my skin starts feeling tight, Right? And uncomfortable, and I'm like stiff and crusty. Oh, it's like gross, right? I'm like, what am I doing? I want to wash this off. I'm done here. And, and, and then, of course, we do wash it off. And I have to admit, right, that um, my skin actually felt, felt smooth. <laughs> I was like, buy a membership here, right? 
I'm all in now here. But um, I should have done, you know, we, we looked kind of like we were like out of a foxhole, and I should have done what my son Holden did a few years ago. I don't know if you have that slide, right? He just sort of found his own, uh, found his own mud spa, right? It was free. Ours was actually money, to put money in, you know, give him money to, you know, put mud on her face or something. But, but anyway, here's what happens, or so they tell me, right, the detoxification process Right, the properties in this mud and clay, I don't understand all this, but it pulls the toxins out of your body. And I wasn't really sure, right, what was gonna happen, but but when I did wash off, it was smooth skin. And it reminds me of the experience of how our souls are really like our skin. That they get clogged up by pollutants around us. And the pollutants are like in the air for our skin, but, but they're in the lies for our souls. Once it gets clogged up, the bad stuff stays in, the good stuff stays out. And just like the clay opens up the pores and draws out the impurities, so does the Spirit of God open up our souls and draws out the lies. The Spirit of God is the one who pours truth into our lives. And you know what? It can be uncomfortable and unpleasant when it's happening. But afterwards, it feels like renewal, and our souls, in a sense, are smooth again. When it comes to renewing the mind, taking off the old, identifying the lies, misconceptions, and misinterpretations that exist within us, they serve as our beliefs and our attitudes and play out in our behavior. And there's all kinds of lies, and they get embedded into us in our family history and different experiences that we've had in our life. There's a few examples for you. The, the, the lies going on sometimes in our heads. You're not good enough. Right? That lie that you believe for that job, for that friend, for that group. Maybe it's that you're not good enough for God to accept you. That's the lie you believe. Maybe you don't feel adequate until you succeed in a certain person's eyes or even the world's eyes. Or at work, you don't hit the sales goals and you feel less than worthy. You believe certain lies about your competence. Or maybe some of you moms or, or parents in general, um, you have, your kid has a moment, they throw a tantrum or something at Target and you feel like a failure as a parent. You wonder who's watching. Or, or then there's the other lie of, of you only feeling lovable if... Right, You look a certain way or have certain friends or get certain grades or succeed in a certain way, and that's when you feel lovable. When you're lonely, you have those lies creep in about who you're not and that you don't measure up and such, and no one likes you, no one wants to be around you, et cetera, et cetera. No one loves you. When no guy asks you on a date, the lies that you're not pretty enough or skinny enough that makes you feel like no one wants wants to love me or show me attention, and their lies are not true. But we let these things ruminate in our minds. Or, or, or we're not valuable if, right, you compare yourself with others and you believe the lie that you're not valuable, as valuable as the other person. Their life is way better. Or if your marriage is struggling or if you get fired or if you can't find a job, then you're not worthy as a person. And on and on these lies go. And they linger inside of us, and they affect who we are and our very essence and who we're becoming. And if we desire to be transformed, it's actually possible that those lies begin to change, that we replace those lies with truth, specific truths that address the specific issue or lie. 
Because every facet of our behavior is somehow tied back to something we believe. And when you and I believe the wrong thing, it works its way out in the form of wrong behavior. But the opposite is true as well. Right thinking paves the way to right behavior. Right thinking paves the way to right behavior. If you believe you're less than complete without a spouse, you're going to pursue marriage in an unhealthy, dangerous pace. You be- if you believe you can't change, you won't change. If you believe God accepts you on the basis of your performance, you're either going to perform yourself to death or give up altogether. And this is why we can promise and commit and rededicate our lives over and over again without ever making real progress. Because until you believe, uh, deal with your belief system, until you deal with your belief system, your behavior will never change because what you believe impacts what you do or how you live. A renewal, renewal is so important. It's our way of working alongside the Holy Spirit as he endeavors to conform our character to that of Jesus Christ. And so for real change to happen, we have to evaluate what's inside of us, the lies and misconceptions that we believe. We have to think through our temptations. We have to address our fears. We have to pay attention to what we're resistant to. We have to seek to become aware of what's inside of our mind and our heart. And most importantly, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal, right, to illuminate the lies that exist inside of us and help bring us to truth. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. Jesus also said it's the truth that will lead you to freedom. And the Holy Spirit wants to shine light in those dark places of your life. And I know for me, there's... There's verses I carry on note cards. There's, there's apps on my phone. There's things I put on my dashboard and in my bathroom, on my bathroom mirror. I put verses that address lies that I believe about myself. One in particular of, of if I don't achieve X, Y, and Z, right, I don't feel as worthy of a person. So I put verses that address my belovedness as a child of God. Truth that, that addresses, you know, it's not about what I do or achieve. It's about how God views me no matter what I do or achieve. And I don't know what your lies are, but what I encourage you, my challenge to you, is to pay attention, get clarity on them, and then begin to replace them with truth until you begin to see your behavior and actions and life change. That's what we have to do if we're serious about life change. Renewal has to become a daily habit. Okay, so repentance, renewal, and then, and then we come to the third critical decision that can catalyze transformation, and it's this. It's about the will. It's reliance on God. Reliance on God. It's interesting that the text doesn't say, make yourself new. It actually says, literally translated, be renewed. Ultimately, it's not something you can do. It's something you receive. Some translators Translate what Paul's saying in essence like this, to have your imagination captured by something or to be caught up in something. And what is that something? Well, back in verse 20 and 21, Paul says this, you did not learn Christ in this way. Now, the experts in Greek, when, 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 they, see, you know, when they use the word learn, it would be like a verb and it would point towards something. You learn the body of truth, right, or you learn a book, Right, there's always an object with it. But no one in ancient antiquity is called to what Paul says here, to learn a person. 
If you want to experience change from the inside out, Paul is saying you have to learn a person. In other words, if you want to experience life change, you have to go to the source. You have to go to the source. You have to seek to know Jesus as a person. You have to seek to live in personal relationship with him in an ongoing and intimate way. Paul is saying the journey of becoming revolves around learning a person, knowing a person, and even relying on a person. Because in and of yourself, you don't have what it takes to become a man or woman of Christ-like character. You can't do it on your own. All the motivation in the world by itself, all the tips and tricks and strategies and whatever else you throw in there, you can't do it on your own. What you and I need is help and enablement from something outside ourselves. You can't change yourself any more than you can save yourself. You can't transform your character in your own strength. To become a person of character, you need the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the good news. Jesus said on one occasion, right before he left the earth, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Holy Spirit is coming, and he is the power source. Just a few weeks ago, uh, no, last week, actually, uh, I I took the protege, as we called it, protege fun day, and um, our our nine-month kind of next level sort of internship we have here, protege program, and we took that, and it was a fun day, right? Who doesn't want to do a fun day, right? You just, you know, it just came out, out. we're like doing a fun day, right? So, by the way, we stopped at Chick-fil-A and got a chicken biscuit, I was like, you know, wanting that, I know you're jealous, but anyway, um, we went to the skydive, indoor skydiving place, and we got there, and we got in our suits, right? Looked like that, something crazy, And, and of course, there's this huge wind tunnel, just gusting wind up, right? And I think they were all a little nervous, but I won't admit anybody's name here. But, um, but yeah, the wind just sort of blows you up in the air. I mean, it's like flying, right? I mean, you're like flying, but somebody can grab you if you go too hot, you know. Kind of, but they turn the power, you know, up or down depending on, you know, your weight and depending on, you know, whatever, how much you're flying and how your arms fly. Anyway, um, at, at the very end, they take you up, up the wind tunnel, right? Like we can't even be seen by the others watching. And we're like whooping around, right, this wind tunnel, right? It's like you're flying. I'm like, this is like Superman. This is awesome, you know? And I'm scared and I'm dizzy and I'm ready to be done, you know, kind of thing too. But anyhow, um, it made me think the power of the wind, right? They can turn it down, right? This guy got in there at the very end and like showboated basically, like flying up, flying down. The guy's adjusting the wind sort of thing. And and not uh, coincidentally, I guess, in the Old Testament, right, ruach is the Hebrew word, means spirit, breath, or wind. And pneuma in the New Testament, same, same kind of meaning, right, spirit, breath, wind. Right? The power of the spirit, the wind of God. If they turn the wind off, what happens? Fall flat on your face. Pretty easy to know that. And that's kind of what happens in our lives. When we're not accessing or drawing upon the power of the Holy Spirit, we can't do it on our own. We can't fly on our own, so to speak. And that's the power that we need to change our will and empower us to do what we cannot do on our own. A person of character is someone who has the will to do what is right. Not just the desire, but the will. That is, they have the ability, the power, the strength to follow through. But in our own strength, we'll never have the will to follow through. Only one person's will is up to that monumental challenge. 
the will of him whose character we seek. Only one person can consistently manifest the character of Christ, and that's Jesus himself. Consequently, the power of Christ is necessary to manifest the character of Christ. The power of Christ is necessary to manifest the character of Christ. And that power is available to us through his Holy Spirit, the source of transformation. I want to close with this. There's a verse in Galatians. Paul, same author, writes this verse. He he talks about reliance upon the Spirit, but he uses language of walking according to the Spirit. This verse is a promise. He says, if we walk by the Spirit, we will not fulfill or gratify the desires of the flesh. We'll be empowered to choose the path of character. We'll be strengthened to will to do the right thing. And when transformation starts happening, your life will resemble what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy, self-control and peace, kindness and goodness and gentleness. The Holy Spirit produces that in you. And Paul calls it the fruit of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who produces it. These are not qualities or virtues that we can produce on our own. We are not commanded to go out and attain them on our own. These are virtues that God longs to produce through us as we learn to rely on the strength and power of God. Character is is produced through us. It is not manufactured by us. It is produced through us, not manufactured by us. And I remember that idea, that line. I'm going to have the band come up. But I remember that line when I'm struggling with kindness or gentleness or goodness or even joy. So I don't manufacture it. What I'm called to do is draw upon the strength and power of God. So instead of staying frustrated with what you can't do, Do what you can do. Draw near to God. Because I think a lot of us, we've tried hard enough. That's not our problem. We're dedicated enough. The problem is when you attempt to accomplish what is impossible to do on your own strength, which is why God's Holy Spirit came to lead and empower us. True and lasting character change is always the byproduct of reliance on God. And to walk in the Spirit, as Paul says, entails surrender. Surrender to a person, surrender to his will for your life, his purpose for your life. And if there's a singular theme in all of Scripture, it's this, that through relationship with God, man is finally capable of doing that which he was incapable of doing on his own. It's what walking in the Spirit is about. It's what reliance on God is about. It's what character transformation is all about. And learning to live in reliance on God, it always hinges on whether Jesus ultimately is the king of your heart. Is that where you're at? Is that what God's stirring you to today? Is Jesus the king of your heart?